Hello there. Welcome to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our predictions for this upcoming weekend. What else are we talking about, Ryan? We're going to have our director's analysis for Ari Aster talking about Hereditary, Midsummer, and some short films of his. It's going to be fun. So excited. And we're joined in the booth by some special guests. First up, we have our friend and filmmaker, Spencer Giles. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And also joining us is our wonderful and amazing producer and Ari Aster fanatic, James Poole. Hello, that's me. All right. We love you, James. We love you, Spencer. Let's get into it. We got some quick news to get through. We got Hamilton is coming to the screen in October 2021, which that's going to be huge. Very big. I expect big box office numbers for that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's coming with the original cast, too, from the like the first Broadway production. Which so is amazing. Lin-Manuel Miranda is coming back as Hamilton. That's right, and it's being distributed by Disney. So, mm. once again, they're taking everything over. Yeah. They even got Hamilton. But, yeah, Spencer, are you excited about that? Yeah, I love Hamilton. Uh, I've already seen the original cast about uh, five times just through pirating. I would love to see him in person, <laughs> but I will probably pay to see them ten times in a theater with like actual surround sound and off my phone. I feel that. Yeah, I feel right. that. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to. And we also have the BAFTA Awards were this week, and what happened there, Dylan? Oh, man. All right. So we got some big top awards. We got 1917 winning the top award and the British best British movie as well. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's a British movie by British people. Of course, it's going to sweep there. It's the right. British television and film awards. What, what, what else do you expect? And also, Parasite wins for the best non-English language and original screenplay, which yeah. is insane. So there's some hope for you at the Oscars to have I, that. I hope there. they win best original screenplay. It was phenomenal. Oh, and I yeah. hope Quentin Tarantino does not win. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need another okay. one. Okay, he doesn't need another one. Especially Parasite not for that was one. so much better. I agree, I agree. Phenomenal. So we'll be looking forward to that. This Sunday are the Oscars, February 9th. And of course, our show next week is going to be an entire recap and showcasing our reactions about the Oscars. Of course. I'm very excited for that, though. I might be late to our Oscars party a little bit. I'm going to be on set. So Wow, look at yeah. that. Yeah, Spencer's will be... also going to be late. I will be working, so I'll also be late. So there you go. We can walk in fashionably late. There you I'll go. Be editing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely look forward to that next week on our show. All right, we got some box office numbers to break down for you. At number one is Bad Boys with seventeen million. It is the third week. It is at number one, which is impressive. A stronghold from the Bad Boys franchise. That is true. In nineteen seventeen, is. Uh, Keeping the runner-up position. It's got $9 million this weekend. Definitely going to get a boost with the Oscars. We'll see if it wins and becomes an Academy Award winner. Good for them. And Doolittle's coming in in third at $7 million, which gives it $55 million domestic. And globally, it has 126 Which, which is bad. Very because bad. Because the budget was $176 million. That is terrible. <laughs> Why did Robert Downey Jr. do it? It's pretty bad. Who knows? Oh, Hopefully, this happen. doesn't make him go back tomorrow. But yeah. next, in fourth, we have Gretel and Hansel, uh, $6 million. And no one saw this movie. No one wants to talk about it. Did you know why okay, they do it? I do want to talk about it for a second. The guy who directed it. Have Have you guys seen um, Mean Girls? Yes. Yeah, Did he do Mean Girls? Actually, no. I enjoyed he it. is the guy who plays. No, not Mean Girls. Legally Blonde. Oh yeah, no, that movie. Legally Blonde. Yeah. He's the guy who plays the creepy guy that she's friends with. 
He directed this movie, which is crazy. Wow. Very insane. But anyway, after Gretel Gretel and Hansel is Jumanji with six million. What is that like? How many weeks has it been in the box office now? I think this is its seventh or eighth week, something like that. It's holding in there. Very much. Very strong. And it's in the top five, which is incredible for it. Uh, And finally, we're going to just talk about the 10th place spot because (laughs) it was a debut and it was rhythm section. Blake Lively's rhythm section, 2.7 million. Opening weekend. Oh, ouch. That is wide release opening weekend, too. Yes, it's the worst debut ever for a wide release. And that's over 3,000 theaters. So that is just awful. Spencer, what do you think? You wanted to see it. Did you see it? I didn't see it yet. Uh, I plan on seeing it later this week. But Reed Morano, like, I love her simply because I seen uh, her other movie with Peter Dinklage, which was okay. But she is a director and cinematographer. She just does both. And I just really hope she makes a good movie. And I like Blake Lively and everything she does. Well, there you Maybe. go. You get to be the one fan of that movie. Yeah. My <laughs> ticket will be cheaper. The seventh person go. to see it. Yeah. And we got some box office predictions. Birds of Prey is debuting this weekend, and that's going to be very big. I've heard a lot of positive buzz from critics for right. the early reviews. Um, they did a screening in London earlier this weekend. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are loving it and like, praising it. Right, right, right. It's... um. We're thinking around fifty million or something like that, which isn't too big of an opening, but for a film like that, it's gonna kinda do what Joker did. It had a smaller budget, but if it has the legs, it'll do very well. Of course. And also we think nineteen seventeen is still gonna hold on. I mean, it was second this week. It's still doing well. Birds of Prey is the only real competition. Birds of Prey and Bad Boys. So I think nineteen seventy people holding on to there. And probably Bad Boys too, but I think Bad Boys is gonna start. Yeah, falling, falling down off. a little but bit. Nineteen seventeen has that Oscars. It, the Oscars this weekend has got that like sort of weight pushing it up. Yeah, it'll keep it afloat, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. All right, time to get into our main segment for today, Ari Aster. All right. So he has a little bit of background here on Ari Aster. He was born in New York, and his father was a musician. His mother was a poet. He says that he started writing scripts at a very young age and then later decided he wanted to be the one who directed them. He attended the College of Santa Fe and then later the American Film Institute after he made a short film that he submitted and it was uh, praised and so they let him in. And he made his thesis film, The Strange Things About the Johnsons, which went on to the Slam Dance Film Festival in 2011 in Utah. Yeah. And it was praised by a lot. We've seen it. Yeah, um, we're going to talk, talk about, about that, that, get into it. Very, Very disturbing. Interesting. He's got some influences here. His influences include Rosemary's Baby, Fanny and Alexander, Persona, a Matter of Life and Death, The Thing, 45 Years, A Brighter Summer Day, The Age of Innocence, In the Mouth of Madness, The Piano Teacher, Eight and a Half, and Repulsion, if you know any of these movies. I have not seen very many of those. Are those obscure? Well, because I'm not a horror guy anyway. James, you are definitely a horror fanatic. Oh, yes. What do you think about those ex- uh, You know, those inspirations? Um, you can definitely see Rosemary's Baby in a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... Uh, hereditary would be a big one that you can see Rosemary's baby in. Um, the thing, of course, you know, a matter of life and death. I can all, see all the these... thing in Midsommar a lot. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, another one that I thought that Midsommar kind of re- uh, reminded me of was uh, The Wicker Man. Are right, you making some faces here, Spencer? Did any of these shock you a little bit? Oh, um, a brighter summer day. I don't know if you guys know this movie, but it's uh, it's from the '90s. It's the four-hour Taiwanese movie, and it's literally just these kids just going about their day so that's the one that pops out just surprising me but a lot of these movies 
the thing that sticks out the most is that a lot of them are like surreal, especially like eight and a half, the thing, Rosemary's mm-hmm. Baby to me are like a little surrealist. And then, uh, but they're also like very, like not slowly paced, but controlled. Like the pace is very controlled. It's going to its own beat. And I feel like you see that with him. And I know he's the biggest Bergman fan and Persona is amazing. Right, yeah. About that point about Brighter Summer Day, Fanny and Alexander is like a five hour uh, foreign film or something that yeah, isn't that Ritter is that Bergman? I don't know if that's true, but Dylan, do you remember Ritter showed some yeah. of that in our class? And so it's interesting to see these obviously horror elements, but also the slice of life elements as feel, well. You can feel the drama in a lot of his work, though. Yeah. And like the pacing. Would you guys watch a four hour Ari Aster movie? Absolutely, 100%. Yes. <laughs> I think Ryan's the only one who would be iffy on that. But. Well, because, and we'll get into this more later, but again, seeing these influences on him in the drama side, I feel like that's what I like the most about him. Like, that's such a great strength, is his characters always feel very real, and the drama between them mm-hmm. is so engrossing. But, but yeah, I w- I'd be okay with it. Uh, one film that does that, you know, very differently is uh, Hereditary. Um, which you haven't seen, Ryan, but it hurts my soul. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. One day, James. One day. One day. Um, so in the in the movie, the family is going through a lot of grief and depression, and it's that whole process about how that works um, in such a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting, and I think you like it. Uh, I another movie that pops up to me is The Age of Innocence. I was gonna say that. Yeah, it's weird to see that in there. Well, no, I think it makes. A ton of sense uh, for who Ari Aster is. Well, because all his movies from The Strange Thing About the Johnsons to Hereditary to Midsummer, it's all about these relationships these people have. And a lot of these relationships are unspoken. You know, in Hereditary, it's about uh, Charlie. Oh, can I spoil it? Yeah, spoil it. I, I don't care anymore. Ryan, you didn't see it. It's been out two years and we got to talk about it. You know? Wait, hold on. Let me take my headphones off. <laughs> okay. And plug my ears. With. Hang on. He's doing it. All right, go ahead. With Charlie's death, okay. Uh, <laughs> going right out his ears. Yeah, right out the gate. With Charlie's death, it's this family cannot speak about their grief. And in Midsummer, it's about this woman who is not being heard about her anxieties and depression, the grief she is going through. And the strange thing about the Johnsons, there's that scene where the mother hears what's happening in the bathroom, and mm. it's very graphic. But she just turns up the TV and yeah. tries not to hear. And the age of innocence is the whole movie is this love story, but no one can say I love you to each other. Ooh. And they just forget about each other. They try to dodge each other, but they can't say what they're feeling or feel what they're feeling. And I could really see him being attached to that movie. All right. I can feel that a lot. All right. You can bring him Ryan, back now. Ryan, you're okay. There you go, buddy. All right. We're, wow. we're done. Thank you for <laughs> indulging us, Ryan. And plugging your of course, of course. All right, now we're going to talk about some of Ari Aster's short films. The first one is The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, which he made as his graduate thesis at the American Film Institute, and it went on to win him a bunch of praise, and it was how he entered the scene, even though he made that in 2011, and his first feature film, Hereditary, didn't come out until 2018. This was really the short film that like had a lot of like precursors to his talent, like showed what he was about like story-wise, um, theme-wise, the tone of his films, the pacing of his films. It's really set... like the bar and like where he would go from here and it's kind of like what people go to when you're like talking about Ari Aster short film he's made like eight or nine or so and this is like the pinnacle of his short films so it's by far one of the most strange and disturbing things I've ever witnessed in my life it is 30 minutes of um, forced incest in 
the wrong direction, I guess. It's like, it's not what you expect. It's the son forcing a sexual relationship with his father, which is not what you'd expect from a movie about, like, that subject. Right, right. Can you describe, Spencer, the opening scene, which I thought was incredible? Oh, oh boy. Yes, the opening scene is... I can't imagine anyone watching this and not wanting to either stop what they're doing and just go outside or finish the 30 minutes as fast as they can. But it's this boy waking off in his bedroom by himself to a photo. And he's going, he's having a good time. And we've all been there where your father knocks on the door and walks in. And he goes on, he pretends that he's not doing anything wrong. The father talks to him, has a conversation, the father leaves. Uh, the man, uh, well, this boy has lost the spirit to continue. And so he just rests, but you think he's done, but he's just sighing. And it's a sigh of love. And the photo is a photo of his father. And then it jumps. And Oof. then we begin the incest. Yeah, I watched this while very intoxicated, <laughs> so I don't remember a single bit of that, and I'm kind of glad I don't. But I, we well, have time, to rewatch it now. I yeah. really want to see it. <laughs> you have, yeah, you have to rewatch it now. It's it just seems so strange, strange and very much like his taste. You Spencer, know? how would you say that it set up his later works? How would you say that it like showcased his work? Because I like touched on that briefly. But how would you say? Uh, well, compared to his other short films, I think this one is definitely the closest to the tone he's trying to go for that he's established in hereditary midsummer and it's that tone that just is trying to get like underneath you and trying to make you feel it's trying to make you feel something that just your soul feels uncomfortable i think is the best way to describe it i feel that a lot yeah, watching it, this short film and the rest of his movies so i feel that yes and this is the first time he's managed to craft something where you have that experience i can tell from the moment he cracked it and figured it out so apply it to a bigger picture in hereditary midsummer all right, I feel that a lot. I mean, it's a very strange movie. It's very disturbing. And it's definitely about, like, it's family-centered, which a lot of his movies are. And it's very drama family-centered, but with that horror twist to it that you don't really see coming. Like, I could see him playing this off as just a straight drama movie. I could see that happening. But he takes that sort of, like, disturbing, like, twist of a knife into your gut and makes you really, like, think about it. And it's like, it comes with the tone, the movie, like, the music. Um, how it's paced, the events that are happening. It's just a very, like, slow, dull turn into this horrifying, under-the-skin sort of feeling with this family. Yes, it is very much under-skin, but I, the moment that makes the movie so disturbing to me is that, because he's, what, the son's about 25 or 30? In, in the In the main part of the story, it, like, jumps from the opening mm. scene Pretty much to his wedding, and he's like in his mid to late twenties at that point. Yeah. Yes, and uh, they talk about goes on since he's been like sixteen years old, and like that's how like he in his puberty was like learning his virginity by like raping his father. But it's uh, at the rehearsal where the mother finds out that this has been going on, where she sees uh, the son forcing the father to commit. I guess a just, sex act. Yeah, a sex act. Yeah, <laughs> forcing him. Yeah. But you see her have this discovery, this horrifying discovery. And she just goes back to the party, and then there's another scene where he's raping uh, him in the bathroom, as I said, and she just turns that TV up, and she just pretends it's not real. And that's what... I got chills thinking about it, because it's so scary. And, like, people, I think, can relate to that, where, like, there's things that goes on in their family that they just try to sideline or like, try not to focus on, where it's something... I think the main point of all his films, I think, is that you should talk to people and, like, try to support people who you do care about. And if you can't find them, find people you care about. 
Go ahead. A lot in his movies uh, is about communication. A lot of the main themes are like in Midsummer, communication is a huge thing between Danny and the uh, and the boyfriend. I can't remember his name. What was it? Is it? I don't remember. I don't I'll, remember. I'll look it up. It's not important. Can we just call him Badger? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whose name? The boyfriend. the boyfriend in Midsummer. Christian. Christian. Yeah. Oh. It yeah. is Christian. It is Christian. Yeah. The one person who thought it was like, you know, okay, remembers the names. I'm impressed. I didn't Ryan. think it was. I liked parts of it. I just obviously didn't like it as I, much as all you we'll, guys. We'll get it was there. in your we'll like top there. tens. But to go back to that, I do feel that family is at the center of a lot of his films, or at least relationships. Um, and you even see that in Midsummer, which we'll get into it more. But you know, it's about that relationship between the couple, but it's still heavily centered on a family tragedy. Um, but yeah, okay. I thought it was definitely a very disturbing film. What do you think of the climax, though, Spencer? Because I felt like it was losing some of its magic and touch. It was still very disturbing. And seeing these emotions bubble up, you know, it was festering because they threw it under the rug. But now they had nothing left to do but face it. But I felt like, I don't know, the physical act of them finding it out wasn't as engaging to me. So what did you think? Um, It's been some time since I've seen it, but I remember disliking the ending also, and that is more because the man who plays the son as an adult, he's not the best actor, Mm -hmm. and it's like he failed to make me truly believe that they were going through something emotional. Right. And it's like when that believably fell out, like the whole kind of plot kind of fell at the end. Yeah. But that tone is still there being controlled by him that I still, is still a vest in what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like that was more a testament to the actor and not Ari Aster. Yeah, not, not Ari Aster. Okay. All, all in all, very disturbing, very strange. And uh, I don't know, I think it set up a lot of his later work, including the next short, one of the next short films he made, which was Munchausen. Is that how you say it? Is that how you would say it, Spencer? Munchausen? No idea. I'm going to go with Munchausen. It's It stars Rachel Brosnahan in a very, very supporting role in the very early parts of her career. My marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah. And it also stars Bonnie Bedelia, who was in the show Parenthood and who was um, in the Die Hard, some of the Die Hard movies. And it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like the opening to Up. It's silent with music in the background and it's about a son who's going off to college and the mother saying goodbye to him. And then halfway through, it turns into the mother not wanting the son to leave. So she starts to poison him. And then she goes a little too far with it. And she has to, I guess like the way it's described is that she has to live with her actions. And it's just weird to see that played out. Cause it's 17 minutes long and it's all just music and no other dialogue. And the, the transitions were amazing like you know how an up the opening has got the transition that really flow you from scene to scene it's got that but live action and there's one shot that i don't know how they did it's like a crane shot it goes up over the college and then there's students playing football and they throw the football and it goes right into the camera and then cuts was it a cgi football do you think it could have been because it looked like the turn kind of changed mm-hmm. at the end but it was very believable but there was a transition that blew my mind because he has this little calendar that uh, he's putting red X's on to cross out the days so he goes to college. And his camera pans across the room and goes faster and faster. And it stops at this X. And the mother just made this uh, red tomato soup with, like, the antidote because she wants him to live. And it goes and it just goes over this red X and just becomes red. And then just seamlessly, it's just a spoon of the tomato soup goes. And she tries to feed him, but it falls all over him. And it's just, it's perfect. But I think this movie was fine. Yeah, I, I watched it I an hour ago. But I feel like I already started to forget it. I was really invested in the first half where I 
felt it was building something where you see him go to college and he thought like, oh, what's going to happen? Is this mother slowly going to go crazy? But turns out it was just all fantasy of hers. Yeah, I thought that, that was a strange turn because it really, most of the fantasies, she's not even in it. So it's weird that she's having like this fantasy of her son going to college, but she's not even in most of it. Right. Usually when you're like thinking of the future, you're thinking of how it affects you and what put you, how you put yourself into that situation. But she's really just thinking about her son, which it didn't play off like a fantasy. It just felt like the story developing. And her son is like very happy. Like she obviously cares so much about her son through this uh, this whole short film, and he's like her fantasy was him living his best life, even though it was without her, and didn't really draw on that conflict enough. But then it just turns, and she just poisons him, and mm. he dies. When was this film made? Like, did this predate uh, the Johnsons? One no, or? this was definitely after the Johnsons. This was somewhere between 2011 2018 so somewhere in that range okay that's, broad that's range the only thing i can say so about before it. hereditary i can look it up or he made a big seven years well yeah something but i mean it. in terms of filmmaking it was really like a step up from the strange thing about the johnson's right. if you ask me because of just like the sheer like not the writing of course but the the actual effort put into the pre-planning and the production of that because this is again a short film and it's probably relatively low to well, it's a low budget, but like for a short film, it might have been like a higher budget than usual. But there was still a lot of planning, and it was it was flawless in like the execution of the transitions, the music, the lighting, everything. Technically speaking, was just very proficient, which sort of leaks into Hereditary and Midsummer about how much the planning he goes into it and how wonderful the technicality of those movies becomes. What do you think, Spencer? Uh, I I agree with you, uh, especially with the lighting. I could start seeing like the beginning of how he uses light to like reflect off certain things. But I thought the music in the short film was the best part because you could tell it was really inspired by Pixar, and you had the same feelings you were trying to experience, where it's all joyful and happy, and it's able to take that turn, and the music able to turn with it without uh, like breaking your sense of belief, and it's never at a point where you're just thinking of Pixar movies. But I I think how Ari Aster uses music is kind of underrated so far from all these short films I've seen in uh, his two movies. And I just, without that music, if that failed, because it's so silent, that's the only way you're getting these characters' emotions, the whole short film would have failed. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of the opening from Up and that the music elevates the emotional experience. And also it came out in 2013. Well, there you go. There you go. All right, now... I think we're going to turn it into one of our two bigger discussions. Um, we're going to start off with Hereditary, his debut feature film, which came out in 2018. And it starred uh, Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf and Millie Shapiro and some other supporting players. Now, I have a few questions listed here. Um, it was produced at A24, for I to mention that. And um, we're just going to go down the list, maybe talk about some questions, just talk about how much we love this movie. All right, I'll start off with this one. How does Hereditary walk the line between horror and drama? Who wants to start us off? Oh, boy. James? All right, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, okay. I would just, I it starts off automatically, you know, with the brother wanting to go out to this party and mom won't let him, blah, blah, blah. And then it just immediately escalates uh, to Charlie being... Uh, spoiler decapitated sorry Ryan and then um <laughs> but even before that when the grandmother died and there was all these people and the mom was even saying that she doesn't even remember them uh, the dialogue was fantastic Spencer any thoughts 
I feel a lot of the what makes it walk the line is that a lot of the horror is based in the drama and it goes vice versa where like I just remember her on the ground and she's just rocking back and forth crying because it's just because her daughter just died and that to me is horrific and it's all tied together like we have horror that he is caught on fire and that's because her husband and it's the only like basically good character in the movie is on fire and other horror that she's uh, cutting throat with the piano wire that is his mother and this is it sounds kind of simple but like all horror movies are like people relating to each other but the drama connects them uh so well and like defines their relationship of what they can speak to each other and what they don't so when these things pop off it's so emotional so would you say the drama elevates the horror and vice versa the horror elevates the drama yes <laughs> yes very well I agree with you. What, what did you find most shocking about the film, you guys that have seen it? Sorry, Ryan. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I would say just how real it feels. All the actors and actresses played so well. Um, all their characters. Uh, the mother, especially. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette rocked it. Do you think yeah. she got snubbed at the Oscars? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I feel yeah. that. And the, the older brother was also fantastic. He played his role... I, there couldn't have been a better actor for that. I love the story of him when he uh, has his head faced into the desk. Oh, yeah. And he said, can I just break my nose? And they go, no. And they patted it. And he went hard as he could. And he doesn't break his nose. But he breaks his jaw. Because he goes through the yeah, padding onto right. the wood. Because when I watched the movie, I'm like, wasn't his jaw all messed up? But he like he got so many method actors who were so fully committed to our actor's vision and trusted him that it their performances seep through and that combined with the tone it just makes it more fantastic could you imagine just breaking your nose for a role like being willing to do that that's an intense commitment to a character for Ari Aster I'd do anything oh I, I, <laughs> I, I believe that I believe that I mean there's a lot of technicality like you said about the padding there's a lot of special effects that go into this movie that aren't you know visual effects they're practical effects like the chalk writing on the board had to do with magnets and um, they just had a lot of those kind of special effects Did that elevated for you at all. Or was it like, do you think that if it was just visual effects, it would have had a similar effect to you and that it was just done because it's what they wanted to do. Can you repeat that real quick? Yeah. <laughs> so like they have all these practical effects and they could have done them very easily. Well, not easily, but with visual effects and it might've been cheaper than say practical effects, but Ari Aster specifically chose to do practical when he could. Do you think that elevated the viewing experience or do you think that that it was just something he chose to do? I think because it's so seeped in this drama of the relationships that if there's anything intensely visual, it'd really take me out of the scene. But I can't truly picture a moment that is that could be really used in this film that could be very visual. Like, is there anything that pops to your head? Well, for me, popping to my head is like her running up the walls and like cutting her head off, yeah. floating in the air, and then like the her like elevating into the treehouse like all that ends like the climax kind of stuff all that is what i think of and then like i mean this was a visual effect but, like the lights mm-hmm. moving around oh, no wait that was all real lights those were real lights those are real lights i'm pretty sure most of the movie was all practical yeah it was very minor you know uh mm-hmm. cgi when i see those practical lights like the lights down the hallway that reminds me of alien a lot which i knew like the scene where they're in the crash ship and they're like walking around and they got the lights zooming around yeah and then i remember reading that they got those from a soundstage next door where i'm pretty sure the who were the who were practicing so like they just stole the lights from the who and then that's put awesome. them in alien that's what it reminds me of here is kind of like a laser show from like a rock band 
but that it works so well because it's so contrasting to what you're feeling in the story. Yeah, if if that moment of her floating in the treehouse was visual effects, would have taken me completely out of the movie. But it's I my favorite shot, one of my favorite shots in the movie because it's a million, is the very opening shot of just the push into the little model, which might be the only oh, biggest amazing. fantastic visual transition. effect. But yeah, it's it's so seamless, and it's I remember when I rewatched it because you go through so much the first time you watch it. I rewatched it. I completely forgot that happened, and it just shocked me all over again. But yeah, if you took the visual effects, it would take me out. Do you know if there's a lot of visual effects in Midsummer? Uh, I don't think so. Not no, much. it's all practical. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's just not much. I mean, there's the editing they do to the bushes in the background, but mm. other than that, it's mostly practical. Like you were saying oh, about there's... the model houses in Hereditary. Um, I know that the production editor, because the entire house was built, the rooms were separately built on sound stages. And the production designer had to work close with the person designing the models so that they could create an accurate representation of this house. So this sort of pre-planning effort into this construction of this labyrinth of a house, does that play off as sort of like you feel the planning in it when you watch it? You feel like how dedicated some of these crew members are to this house or does it feel like just a set they picked? I I feel that's the family that lives there. Like they, they draw me in. They make me believe that all this is occurring. Uh, but yeah, there's so much perfect choices by so many different people. And I know Tony Collette said Ari Aster was the most prepped director she's ever worked with, that he had everything built up already. But uh, yeah, nothing feels ever odd because there's some movies where you're like just in a classroom and it feels different. But every time I'm like, I'm in this setting, I'm in this atmosphere that they've created, which is there's just so brilliant craftsmen. So would you say that you like, James, do you feel like you can feel his planning and everyone's planning in this film compared to like maybe another film you'd watch? You can like kind of feel out when you're watching it that a lot of effort went into this and you can like sense how that elevated the performance. Yeah, it's extremely immersive in a sense of when you you don't just put this movie on in the background, you know, you have to give it your full attention, whether you like it or not. It's it's going to grab your attention either way, either it's, you know the weird events that are going on in the background or just simply you want to pay attention and go along with the storyline. I can feel it. Yeah. There's a lot of pre-planning that goes into his movies and it really, it gives an impression onto me onto the effort that's gone into these movies and it really elevates the experience for me. Now shifting tone from technicality to more uh, how we feel about this movie. I know Ari Aster has gone on record saying that one of the main themes in this film hereditary is, creating a realistic depiction of suffering suffering and depression how do you feel where do you feel in this movie that comes through the most and how does that sort of balance with this horror theme of like possession and like demons it's got to be the mom the mom suffers without a doubt the most and i think uh that is kind of how, how do you how would you say that kind of like leeches on to the the little brother parasite the, yeah like <laughs> <laughs> it um it kind of gets influenced into the little brother and or the older brother i'm sorry and he is just in such a depressed state that he doesn't even want to leave his room uh even when it's his uh, little sister's funeral that he killed you know he keeps apologizing and the mother just has this seething hatred and all that yeah, right after the car moment where it's just that shot lingering on his face, to oh. me that is his 
innocence of personality is dying and he drives home goes and just lays in this bed doesn't say anything and his mom has to go and find the body exactly heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and i love the moment also when uh he's smoking weed with his friends and just has a panic attack yeah because it everyone is in such a state of shock and they just cannot get out of it and that's what makes the movie so thrilling would you say that the father steve played by gabriel byrne would you say that he's suffering as much as the other characters or would you say that he's sort of trying to keep it together or maybe a little bit of both i would say a little bit of both i mean as a family member whenever someone else is in a disarray somebody else has to like kind of pick up the the other person try to keep moving on but i mean that was i guess that was his kid too you know so trying to come off of that is pretty difficult I feel Steve comes from a stronger foundation where uh, the son and the mother, they both come from these kind of difficult childhoods because the son has that moment where he wakes up in a lighter fluid, which I believe would traumatize you as a child. But Steve comes from, I think, from a normal place. Like he seems like the normal man. And when these crazy things are happening, he sees his wife, he thinks she's insane. But he is grieving and he, uh, you can tell he is stressed out, especially when he discovers uh the grave has been opened up and that's when you see this emotion starting to come through and it comes through as frustration and just trying to fix his family like that's the thing where everyone's retracting he just wants to bring them all back together those are all very good points now Ari Aster's writing is something that I mean this is a director's analysis is what we're calling this but he's very much the like equal parts writer director and you can feel that in his works and so uh, we talked about this earlier, Spencer, but how would you say Ari Aster conveys a sense of focused world building in that he builds these worlds, these very massive worlds, and then just focuses on a very small portion of it that we can like home into? How would you say that he does this in, in a way? Because that's how I feel when I watch Hereditary is that he's created this world of like the this sadist people who the cult, and then like the people in this town of Utah and then he focuses it on the small family who's just a small portion and then just dives into their details. It's because you are with them every step of the way of the story. When you learn something, it's through them, usually most of the time. And even if he happens to show you a shot that causes you to question what is occurring and that you don't see the characters learn, you learn that later through them. So that it's like they are answering the questions for you. So you're always focused on them and the reactions they have to this world that they are entering. And that's the smart thing that he does that everybody appreciates him for is because everybody is kind of sick of just verbal storytelling where it's just like a question arises and then the character immediately answers it. Whereas Ari Aster, when he creates his characters, he does it through kind of facial expressions or through uh, different uh, uh, character movements. Yeah, just to add one point of that, I feel like he really knows how to keep people silent in his movies and just let them have that silence speak just as loud as the dialogue they give. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people talk about, like, when I first watched this movie and I had a lot of friends who went and saw it and I had a lot of people that I knew that didn't like it, one of the main things that they brought up was that they felt like there wasn't enough explanation to the events and that they were confused. Do you... We were just talking about this, but do you like the way that Ari Aster brings up his exposition in more subtle ways, or does it feel sort of hidden? I mean, what do you think? If I can jump in real quick, because I haven't seen her answer, obviously, but 
one of the things in the short film, the Johnson's one, was I felt like, especially towards the end there, he was everything was coming through in dialogue, whereas I felt like some of that was missing in the facial expressions or in their movement, and we're missing this visual storytelling component. And so it seems like he really honed in on that over the years and during his feature in Hereditary, it came through. So I'd be interested to hear more about that, of how he was able to build up these strong characters, these strong worlds, without just telling you, you know, like you're a five-year-old child. Yeah, well, I know that in Hereditary, there's a lot of subtle exposition in the way they move and the way they think and the way they talk. And there's also this component of written exposition that it's kind of like the camera focuses on some dialogue and then you're supposed to read it. But there's other times where, like, there will be, like, a page. I know there's one shot where there's a page of a book, and if you were to be able to read the specific part of that page that you're supposed to, you would understand the surface plot of this movie. But if you missed it, it would be confusing. And that's what I saw a lot of people doing is that they weren't able to read it because there was a lot of other words around it. But there's also pictures in the book. So it's a lot of visual storytelling in the sense that of reading and pictures – but I know a lot of people who missed a lot of that because they weren't able to keep up. Do you, would you say that that's a fault of Ari Aster's? Or would you say that builds into the mystique of the movie? I feel that he... I think at first it does build in the mystique very much. Mm-hmm. But I feel what he tried to do in the beginning and he accomplishes it the moment Charlie Head hits that pole is that he just wants you to have 100% focus on this movie. And I kind of felt that too about the Johnsons that he kind of talks down a little bit to you. Especially at the end I remember. But in Hereditary, he wants you, he feels like he now knows how smart an audience member can be. And he tries to keep you at that level, just keep you, just keep going, just thread and thread. Because I saw this, uh, the first time I saw it was just in my room, just with someone else. And we were just so 100% focused on what was going on, that this one shot that he clearly wants you to have that, have that moment to read. I read it, and I don't know how you miss it. I remember I told my dad to watch the movie because it traumatized me so much. And he understood everything clearly because Ariaster was managed to have him focus 100% onto this movie. Yeah, same thing here. Um, when you say your dad, my mom is the worst to watch movies with. I mean, she'll be like, oh, who's that? Who's that? And she'll like pat you on the arm. I don't go to movies with her anymore. But I showed her um, one of Ariaster's films, his latest one, Midsummer, And that's the only movie that's ever uh, been shown to her that she hasn't talked through. Because it's so visible, you know? It's also, like, in terms of, like, besides visible, it's also visceral. Like, you have exactly. to watch it. You you can't just, like, look away. You can't make a joke. You have to sit down and really, like, focus on this this movie in its entirety. Whoops. Yeah, I know, you're, that for <laughs> I know you're cracking jokes when you were watching Midsommar, Ryan. I think that helped the experience. So, bro, it was late at night. Oh. It was like 12. Spencer was sleeping. because he so. doesn't like no, horror movies. Fun, he thinks it's too spooky. That's true. It was very bright, but I think it helped at least ease me a little bit into seeing that because it was very creepy at times. But we'll get into that yeah. when we segue into okay, Midsommar. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Tony Collette plays Annie, who is the mother of the main family that we're talking about here in Hereditary. And... Her mother is sort of the matriarch of the whole family dynamic in this movie, but she's dead by the time the movie starts. And so we just hear from Annie about how strong and like confident her mother was and how domineering her mother was. And we never really meet the mother. We never know much about her in any other way. So we view her as this matriarch, as this strong female presence over the family, especially over Annie. And then 
as we watch the movie, we sort of find that Annie is sort of the outsider within her family. And so how does how do you think it plays into the horror that she's the one that's being pulled away from the family, especially after Charlie dies, that she's the one that they view as the outsider now and that she's no longer or that she never really was this sort of matriarch that her mother was. She has all this suffering and anxiety in her life. How do you think that helps the movie and how does it accomplish? Well, seeing such a strong character in such a huge panic is a little unnerving to some of the audience members and most of them, including me, to see this woman dry heaving and like almost to the point of vomiting onto the carpet in grief and despair that her daughter has just been decapitated in her car and was never even brought up and nothing was said uh, to her about it. She literally just wakes up the next morning and finds her daughter's rotten corpse in the back seat, you know, and for someone to uh, experience that and see such a strong character kind of break down or what's supposed to be a strong character break down. It's very, like I said, unnerving. All right. Good points. And um, another thing that her character does is her occupation is, making these little model designs that she's an artist. And so she has these art exhibits and she displays models of like um, rooms with situations happening in them. And that's sort of how some exposition is delivered is through the models. And it's also a lot of symbolism comes through in those models. What do you think this particularly represents is this big house modeled within the house itself that it's sort of like their life reconstructed. What do you think? I think firstly, it is used to, I think in the beginning it could be almost used as a fantasy and therapeutic just for her, where she shows her uh, daughter dying, the horrible image of her uh, mother exposing her breast to suck on her child because uh, her mother is so domineering over her. But I feel it's about, I feel like the movie is about like reconstructing the families. Like I feel like that's what the goal these characters have. That's what she's constantly trying to do. And the moment where she like kind of breaks that uh, miniature down that she's been wearing so much uh, time in is about a few minutes after the family breaks down. And that's when the people start to die. Yeah. All right. All, all good points. Now, aside from Ari Aster, Caster crew, who do you think shined in this movie? Who do you think was the star or the stars of this movie aside from the director writer? Oh, the mom. That played in this movie. I can't remember her name. Tony Collette. Tony, Tony Collette was Tony phenomenal. Collette. She blew me away in this film. And it was just amazing to watch her uh, 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 her method and how she works in this film and just kind of absorbs and becomes this character. Same thing with the, the older brother. I love Nat Wolf. Uh, shout out to the Naked Brothers Band. It's a great, great show. But he... Alex Wolf. Nat Wolf oh, brother. Alex Wolf. Oh, I'm sorry. I confused the wolves. Uh, Alex Wolf is amazing in this. He, I've, The only other movies I've seen has been Jumanji, which makes me so sad because he brings <laughs> so much passion to this project. Oh, and he goes through so much suffering. Uh, he goes through so much changes of performance from killing his sister to how he deals with that. You see him how he deals in a party, how he deals with friends. You see him become the king of hell who is also his sister he's playing from so many different angles and he's making me believe every single time that i'm with him and he he broke his jaw yeah. like, i just can't forget That's that dedication yeah but i uh i think the just the camera work and the cinematography 
is beautiful in this movie. Uh, yeah, and our cinematographer is Pavel Pogorzelski, and he also did Midsummer, and he's phenomenal. Now, do you think he got snubbed for the Oscars or any other award show yes. for Hereditary? I think he should have at least been nominated. Mm-hmm. What else do you think should have been nominated or even presented awards for Hereditary specifically? Well, Tony Collette, obviously. Of course. And you could have ar- definitely argued for Alex Wolf. Uh, I I like to say the music. The music, to me, is just so hypnotic. It is The whole movie is hypnotic. That's how I really describe it. But the music really just gets you in the groove that they're trying to paint through the editing and through the pacing. There's 85 minutes worth of original music in this movie alone, which is monstrous. The The composer had to work 16-hour days just to complete it. It was uh, Colin Stetson. I have one more. Whoever came up with the idea with the should have won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, it's very creepy. Because I remember after we watched the movie, Alexa just kept doing it in the car. And it was... <laughs> yeah, she would just go... And it was just terrifying i remember the girl i watched this movie with for the first time we had a test the next day in speech and halfway through the test i just went <laughs> <laughs> it's very much like that movie the grudge you know when she's uh, thing you know yeah it, yeah all right well hereditary is what what do you like before we get into midsummer do you like hereditary or midsummer more oh wait. you guys that have seen it for me, it is hereditary, but I think the two things Midsummer has over it is uh, cinematography is beautiful, mm-hmm. but I feel like the message of Midsummer is something I can relate to personally more, but I have not experienced uh, big moments of grief in my life, so maybe that could change where I even am attached hereditary even more than I am now. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, I would say they're pretty even because they're so different at the same time, you know? It's kind of almost polar opposites. You know, you have one that's extremely dark, like almost the entire movie. And then you have something like Midsummer, where it's so vibrant. It's it just blows you away. You're looking at all these pretty colors rather than kind of paying attention to this movie. You know, I can feel that a lot. I, I don't know if I can personally make a decision between the two. I, I like them both so much for very different reasons. So it's hard for me to compare. But if I had to choose, I think I like Hereditary more just just a tiny little bit although i would say that i'm more entertained watching midsummer i feel like when i watch hereditary i'm very uncomfortable and like sort of like aware of where i am and kind of scared while also simultaneously sucked into the movie somehow i don't know how those two somehow play together but they do and it's just sort of a disturbing experience we're kind of like the strange thing about the johnsons or maybe the lighthouse. Lighthouse does it to a greater extent. Oh, the lighthouse. Yeah, that's that's, great film. that's Spencer's favorite movie of the year. Yeah, high five. I don't know about that. <laughs> Do it again. Yeah, there we go. Well, I liked Hereditary, and I was enjoy like I enjoyed Midsummer more. But I don't know. They're both good. Um. Yeah, I think Midsummer is <laughs> better. <laughs> Based on. My not seeing Hereditary. Are we segueing into Midsummer now? Indeed. Because let's get into it. First of all, I guess the lead actress in both ones stole the show, or at least were very good, because Florence Pugh in Midsummer, Incredible. Was fantastic. Oh, she was amazing. Yes. Please pop off. And I saw her in uh, Little Women, and there's a moment where Amy starts to cry. And I was like, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> She's very good at crying. Like that initial scene, are you good? That initial scene 
of you know when the thing happens which i guess we'll get into in a second but her just crying on that couch leaning in the boyfriend's lap or whatever like i really felt that and, and that really it, set, set the stage screaming with this music pounding through and then the camera just pushes past them into the snow and then oh, midsummer fantastic editing on that part it was it really was incredible i back to her crying i love the one take when she first <laughs> takes shrooms and she starts to go on a really bad trip and starts to cry and just keeps following her and you just see her face just contorts more and more into anxiety and yeah. just I, I can't even describe how good Florence Pugh is in this movie the editing is just top notch if you are an editor and you haven't seen this movie I don't know what's wrong with you but go see it it's can great. I breach a question to everyone absolutely sure. do you think Ari Aster in the next say like five years is gonna have like a mega movie where like everyone goes out and sees it because it's so horrifying. Like maybe like to level like Exorcist or something. If Midsummer or Hereditary wasn't it, I don't know what movie he's gonna make next to be able to do that. But I would definitely expect that from him. I think if he skewed something less, um, maybe make something that's slightly less disturbing and more like commercial, it could definitely blow up. Kind of like how Get Out was very like it wasn't as disturbing as anything Ari Aster's done certainly, but it was still artistic. But it was still entertaining enough for a commercial audience. I feel like Ari Aster could do that, but I don't know if he would want to do that. I feel like he definitely yeah. wants to make the movie that he wants. Another thing he'd have to do, he's he'd have to instead of just doing like family things where he focuses more on family issues and communication, he'd probably have to go out to more of like a social uh, issue rather than just uh, the immediate. I would like to see him do, make a movie that's really big though, because I would like to see people finally like appreciate him to the max. I want him to make, like, a big Ari Aster movie. Like, they're already so emotionally big, but I would love to him to somehow span across into something bigger than himself. Because I think I want him to keep it personal, but I want the world he makes to be, like, almost even bigger. And have the emotion kind of follow that. And thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> now, when I, I first watched this movie when it came out, and I watched it with you, James, yes. and... I must say I was very much disturbed and I walked out of the theater and said, I will never watch that again because I was just, just how disturbed I was, even though I loved it. And I just recently was able to watch it again. I watched it with Ryan for his first time watching it. And it was a much different experience because I knew what would happen. So it was, it was less, it was slightly less disturbing, but still puts you on the edge of your seat. Well, the thing about this movie is that the storytelling is very obvious. The opening scene is this tapestry that kind of tells you what's about to happen. And you don't really notice it at first, but around your second or third time seeing it, you know, if you're not an Ari Aster fan, you, you know, you catch on. But the thing is, if you're not into Norse mythology, this is not really the film for you, whereas I am. So I kind of understood what was going on and I was kind of laughing and, you know, kind of little giddy in my seat as all my friends are about to watch this horrible thing happen to these people so yeah speaking of that opening scene right after like the tapestry is this sort of what is it like 10 minutes long sequence between several scenes where oh, she's yeah. trying to figure out what's going on with her sister and her yeah. sister's not communicating back to her and her boyfriend's being sort of aloof and very talking to his friends about how he wants to break up with her and then there's just this hard like cut right after like the boyfriend finally picks up the phone and she's just in pure tears and you don't know what happened and there's this hard cut to like the garage and the exhaust fumes and then the music 
is just this loud screech. I don't know if it was bagpipes or something or maybe a synthetically made noise, but it was just screeching all throughout as these like firefighters are wearing their gas masks tracking through the house and the sister has taped the exhaust tubes to the parents' room and then into her own mouth, effectively suffocating her and her parents. Yeah. What else is there to say about this movie other than <laughs> that's the opening scene? And that's what you kind of have to deal with throughout the entire movie is just the weight of that whole scene with Danny. You're kind of carrying the grief with her. That's a good point because you're sitting through this movie like, I can't believe that happened. I can't. I don't even know these characters that have just died. I can't believe they died in such a horrible, horrifying way. I don't know. I don't know how I would cope with that as a person. Is my sister killing my parents and herself? I don't have a sister, but if that happened, I don't know if I would. I don't know how I'd feel. I don't know if I'd be angry or sad. Or there's so many different emotions you could choose from. And Danny unconsciously chooses depression and anxiety which anxiety isn't much of a feeling but more of a reaction but just this pure anxiety that she, now she has to deal with in her life that was a minor problem beforehand and now a major problem that carries through the movie and now oops, sorry go ahead oh okay uh where was i uh i think it's so sad after that moment is that she does lose her family and it feels like she was a support for her sister and it's implied that uh it goes the other way to her and she loses the support system, and there's just no one for her. All she has is this boyfriend that was planning to break up with her. And he didn't because he was just basically lazy and didn't know how to approach it. But none of these people cared. And it just starts off a great beginning of this message. And also just add one thing. I love the creative choice on how dark they make that first beginning. Where you just like, you barely can't see. Uh, on the TV we watched, I noticed all the black spots were clipping. And it was just all <laughs> graying together. Well, that was a bad TV. Yeah, it was, but it was still, it made it more interesting, but it just, it puts you on this, like this level that you get used to. And then, so when it gets bright, it feels as surreal as it is to her. And I love that. And again, the opening gives us one of the most haunting images in the movie, which is of the sister who has the tube taped into her mouth and her eyes popping out. And there, there's vomit on her as she like is suffocated and she vomits through the tape and her eyes are just bulging and disfigured. And that sort of stays in our mind throughout the movie. And um, I don't know if either of you guys saw it, but I pointed out to Ryan. I think you were asleep, Spencer. But there's a scene where they're carrying Danny as the May Queen at the very end of the movie where if you look up into the trees, up into the left, you can see the sister's image printed onto the trees, which if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't see it. But when you do see it, it makes that sequence all the more horrifying. Yeah, It's just truly disturbing. So to sort of kick things off, we talked about this with Hereditary, but how in Midsommar do you think Ari Aster sort of like balances horror and drama? Because there's definitely a, a strong horror elements and there's very strong dramatic elements in the background that sort of elevate it. And I have my own theory about this because it feels like he does it differently in this movie than did it with Hereditary. What do you guys think? Right. I can't speak to what happened in Hereditary, obviously, but... I felt like the very beginning of this movie, I was surprised because like you had said, it was very dark, which you expect for like a horror drama but, or for a horror movie, but it wasn't horror in that time. It was strictly drama, which I thought was very fascinating to have that juxtaposition. And I was engrossed. With, I don't know. It was the acting, the writing, the way it all came together, but I was completely enveloped from the start in this drama with just their their lives playing out, their relationship and how it was. Um, and that was the biggest surprise for me going into this for Ari Aster because I didn't really expect that at all. I didn't know that was a strength of his. Yes, I 
thing. It does really start off in the drama, especially when they even go uh, to Sweden and she tries to escape using drugs but gives her a bad trip. It doesn't take that horror approach at all till the cliff diving where they oh, go yeah. and they fall and they crash. That's when the horror begins because you know them so well that when some of the characters say, I still want to stay, you can believe them. And it's like, oh, this is a different culture. But uh, just add that cliff diving moment is terrifying and it's almost uh it like kind of parallels charlie's beheading where you just there's this turn and you can't you can't really say is the horror happening yet but that's when the building and the drama and the horror start crossing each other and then that's when it then explodes at the end my theory i'm glad you brought it up ryan you sort of brought up my theory my theory is that in this movie specifically as compared to hereditary ari aster is mixing the horror and drama elements so when you watch a scene that is dramatic you have these horror elements that give it that sort of background of horror but then you're when you're watching the truly scary terrifying stuff that you should be like like wincing at there's a lot of sort of just it's more calm in theme it like especially at the very end where they're like setting the bodies in the temple and they're like putting christian in a bear and they're like setting everything up for everything to just burst into flames it's very calm it's very like sort of dramatic in the way that it sort of flows and it's not really like intense pounding horror into you. So it's sort of like he balances these two themes by juxtaposing them with each other. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the same message of communication, but it's different types of communication. There's a communication between uh, her and Christian, her boyfriend. And then there's a different type of communication between the culture clashing of Americans and the, uh, the traditional Swedish Speaking of her boyfriend and Christian, this movie deals a lot with romantic relationships and Ari Aster has gone on saying that one of the big themes is that this movie is a breakup movie rather than a horror or drama, which we've had some difficulty talking about. Some of us don't really believe so. Spencer, you've had some trepidation with that subject. Do you, do you think it's a breakup movie? Not necessarily a breakup movie, but I think it's a movie definitely dealing with her anxiety and her just destroying the support uh structure that she's made that is not actually supporting her so she has to find this new one and it just happens to me that her boyfriend's part of that support structure a very important piece but not the overall part but how do you think the movie mirrors or symbolizes romantic relationships itself how do you think that it like takes this sort of structure of a romantic relationship and translate it into a horror drama cult folk. Dylan, why don't you answer that? Because you, you are hard line on the this is a breakup movie, yeah. while some of us are more hesitant. So I want to hear your perspective on why. Well, I think the big... Well, I've never experienced a breakup hard on myself, but to me, what I see when I see a breakup is this sort of like... Uh, this awkward part beforehand you have this sort of like silence and like between the people sort of like you feel like something might happen then you have a huge clash of emotions this huge sort of um like anger sadness everything just clashing together that amounts to the breakup and then a sort of period afterward where it's just calm waters mixed with anxiety and sort of like self-realization which is what i feel with like the movie building up to that end scene the climax and the sort of like she picks him over to the Swedish guy to go into the bear and die. And that's sort of like, that's the moment where she breaks up with him, which is like the worst way to break up with someone <laughs> is to tell him you're going to get stuck in a bear and burn to death. But that's her breaking up with him, getting stuck into the pit. And then her just crying over the relationship, crying over the experience and then smiling at the end because of this calm wave of it's finally over with. I'm finally calm 
my anxiety is starting to subside because I have these people around me who are supporting me, even though they're cult murderers. They're supporting her. They're understanding her emotions. And it's sort of like just this calm period of her just smiling. And then this is, oh, it's over. And then the end of the movie happens. I feel for this movie that doesn't make it feel like a breakup movie is that it does come down to that choice of you have this uh, horrible boyfriend or you have this completely better option for yourself. So it doesn't feel like it is building up to her overcoming and breaking up with him and feeling better. It is that she has escaped this whole other past and become something greater. I could feel that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I I would say it's probably a breakup movie as someone who's dealt with a small handful of some really bad breakups. I've definitely felt like putting someone in a bear and setting them <laughs> on fire. But, uh, yeah, that's my answer. Now I have an interesting question that I wanted to ask specifically. How do you think Ari Aster uses preconceived bias to his advantage? And let me elaborate on that in that. Two things, most people or some people going into Midsummer have seen Hereditary, they know his tone, they know his style, and they know exactly how it's going to play out, or they have an idea of how the tone's going to play out, and so they go into this movie knowing that, and they also go in knowing, even if the people who haven't seen Hereditary, they know in going that it's a horror movie. So how do you think he uses that to his advantage? Because there's a lot in here that's, you're sitting there, you're like waiting for the horror moments, and then sometimes they don't come. And sometimes you're waiting for the dramatic moments, all of a sudden a horror moment happens, and then there are other times where there's a horror moment when you think it's going to be. So do you think he's playing with the genre, playing to the genre, or not even following the genre of horror movies with this movie? I would say it's a bit experimental when it comes to horror and drama. You know, nobody, well, I don't say nobody, but there's been very little mainstream uh, horror drama mix-ups, as big as, you know, Ari Aster's. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I would just say that it's he's kind of playing around with it, and that's what he kind of wants is to kind of disarm you and think that something else is going to happen when, you know, you get a horror thing. When you get a horror uh, scene, you actually get, like, a drama one. I feel the thing that surprised me most when I saw this movie was how I felt like he pulled into the genre a little bit more, especially with all the side characters where we had these two uh, uh, British characters who are basically kind of uh, food fodder for the community and they had these other friends who like sl were slowly knocked off but it's because he did the same thing that he's always done in these movies where he's tied it so much to the relationship and drama that's still impactful but I just kind of like how he turned back while he's being experimental in so many other places he kind of turned back to a more uh, comfortable area for people yeah I feel one of the most striking images in this film were was I guess it was during a nightmare she was having where all of her friends were leaving and she like just ran outside just to see them going and then she opens her mouth to scream and then the black smoke comes out like that to me because you obviously didn't expect it like you know it was being trippy and whatnot but you know that particular thing was happening and that symbolized the drama that was happening that I think caps up her anxiety very well but it was also very creepy and I was like oh my god 100% agree I think one of the most striking images in the movie is this flash image that's there for just like two seconds maybe, but it's of the rock where the couple falls on, like where they do the cliff dive. It's of that rock, but in the place of the couple that dove was her parents, and then in the very center laying in the rock is her sister still with the, duct, the, the tube duct taped to her mouth. I think that was a striking image, how he, she relates 
this experience of anxiety to that experience of anxiety and how it's all connected with just her flat out anxiety. I agree. Yeah. It's a startling image, which hits on the horror points, but then it symbolizes everything that's going on within her character, within the themes and that hits the drama point. So again, I think those, the most effective moments he has are when, Oh my God, I'm crying is when he, uh, (laughs) the most effective moments he has is when he does marry those two and he does it so well. And so that's part of his skill as a director, I suppose. That's a good point. One thing that I found that was uh, striking to the story was when she was dancing around the maypole. And as she's dancing around, she's talking to the Swedish girl that's next to her. And uh, the Swedish women uh, barely speak any English. So as they're dancing around this maypole to figure out who's the May Queen, uh, the main character kind of turns towards the Swedish girl in Swedish and ask her, uh, how are we still dancing? And the Swedish girl responds back in Swedish. And she goes, I don't speak Swedish. You know, and uh, in Swedish. It was it was her accepting the culture even more, even though she's absolutely tripping. And speaking of, like, dancing around the maypole and all these different things that they do in the movie, there's a lot of cultural history going on in Midsummer, aside from the actual story itself. There's, there's a lot of Swedish and Norse culture, like merging into this how do you think that plays off in a horror movie setting because it's not when you look at it all this greenery the fact that sweden is so bright at this time of year there's all this daylight and there's so much green and flowers and all this bright life how does that it's sort of like contrasting a horror movie in itself how do you think that that plays like it's so strange that he would choose this right i mean it's strange but i think it's uh i think it's a nice representation of how brutal, you know, the uh, the Viking traditions, which is what a lot of these were, the Atastup, which is where the uh, the people would, the old people would sacrifice themselves in order to keep off uh, being a burden to the rest of the community. And I think he played it off very well because a lot of that ties in with uh, letting go and kind of accepting, uh, you know, the truth that the boyfriend is the jerk in the relationship and she needs to let him go and uh, the sister being selfish and the parents kind of being innocent and it wasn't her fault pretty much. I I believe that it has a great juxtaposition between the two because it goes of just the constant brightness. Uh, I'm not obviously well versed in like Swedish culture, but I believe that it is like it represents to her her son, I think almost as like S-U-N. And everything else is like this dark world to her. And it's horrifying for us because we're seeing these experiences. But it allows him to create this world and show it kind of horrific. But everything is horrific to us because we're not part of this culture. And it becomes this bright place when she becomes a part of this culture. And I think he just does that beautifully. And I think another thing that I'd like to elaborate on is that when we're watching this as people who are outsiders to this culture, we're sort of identifying as the guests in the cult. We're like... We're wondering what's going on at the same time they're wondering what's going on. And then there's sort of like that exposition where like they turn to their guide and they're like, what's going on? And he's like, just watch. And it's sort of like something that I can relate to as a moviegoer. People coming up to me be like, well, what's going on? And I say, just watch, which is just sort of like it's – but the way he says it isn't an annoyance or anything. It's just like you want to embrace yourself in this culture, watch our culture. And – that sort of plays into the fact that Ari Aster doesn't use a lot of expositional dialogue in his features, at least. 
like hereditary midsummer there's not a lot of explaining what's going on there's just like you have to f- like feel your way through the story and it's sort of a good way to tell to show this culture is through showing it visually because when you're watching the movie it's like you you start to understand the culture and it's no longer like you're questioning you're like oh well they're dancing around the maypole of course like what else would they be doing at this part of the midsummer ceremony what did you think was going to happen and so you're just start, sort of going along with it with the characters and you're learning with them and i think that's an interesting way to marry that and also it also elevates the story because now you're not detracting from the actual story itself by throwing in exposition about this culture when you can just learn about it by watching. So I think that's an interesting lesson to learn is just watch, you know? Yeah. Now, this movie deals a lot with anxiety. It's probably the main one of the main themes of this movie, hereditary with suffering and depression, and now this movie with just pure anxiety. Are there any scenes that specifically screamed anxiety at you that you could point at right now? Or is there any characters other than maybe Danny that had a lot of anxiety in the movie? What do you think? This does not connect with anxiety at all, but is his name Mark? Is that the dude's name in the yeah. thing? Yeah. Just the douchebag. <laughs> he was so funny, too. Another instance of just like juxtaposing of we're in this unfamiliar culture. We know it's supposed to be a horror film, so we're kind of on edge. She's just dealing with this grief. And so we know that that's in the back of her mind and back of our mind as well. And then we just have Mark spin out these one-liners. They're so goofy. And peeing on the tree. Yeah, peeing on the tree. How could he? Anyway, I just thought that was something that should have been noted. Well, back to the theme of anxiety. What do you guys <laughs> think about anxiety in this movie as the theme? I would say... Uh... Anxiety plays a very heavy role because of the suspense of what you're trying to expect to happen next, which most people generally have no idea what's going to happen in this movie if they haven't seen it for the first time, unless they're listening right now and they haven't seen it. Um, Then it, it, again, it just ties back to he's toying with um, the two genres. So it has this weird, perfect balance of you think you're getting this, but you're really getting horror, and you think you're getting horror when you're really getting, you know, drama. Yes, the most anxious moments are are when they are tripping and when there's that dream sequence. But I think the moment where I felt just the most anxiety for any character is when Christian is uh takes the drink and starts to trip and the just this guy just claps. He just has a clap. Oh, and you I see love that. the whole world behind him just twist and twirl. And then you have her, and she's going through something similar, and you just see the flowers are breathing, and everything's kind of peaceful. Yeah. And then he has that moment where he goes and uh, cheats on her and sleeps, and these people are just breathing and experiencing this emotion. She sees this, breaks down, goes, and I think it's the most beautiful scene in the movie, is where she's just crying and breathing, and everyone just picks up that pain, and they're just like, give me your anxiety, because between all of us, we can carry it, and we can carry it for you, and that's what's make this movie so great. Now, do you feel like those scenes in particular where they're feeling the emotion, the cult is feeling the emotions of several other characters, do you think those scenes at all impact the sort of theme of romantic relationships in that rather than um, just listening and saying, I know, I understand, I know, I understand, they're feeling the emotions with you. And so when you're sad, they're sad and you can feel that as that sort of like silent but comforting response is to cry when they're crying, to scream when they're screaming, etc.? I 
I feel that's definitely a good point. Like that's a take you can take off it. But for me, it was almost treating that with anyone or anyone you have a relationship is just try to listen and feel what they're feeling and let them have their moment and just share with them. It's not necessarily a relationship that's romantic by any relationship you have with anyone. I would say uh, Ari Aster displays this in a more of extreme way. Like I really, my girlfriend's upset about, you know, something happened in her day and it really made her upset. I really wouldn't cry with her because I don't know. I'm a jerk. I understand. uh, I'm a jerk too. So I, I mean, there's one point of, yeah, I understand, you know, that sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then there's another point of, all right, let's talk about it. Let's see how we can kind of create a solution to help work this out where Christian fails. And that's the point where you kind of pick that up on uh, the community is treating her better than her boyfriend does. And, Back to the breakup part. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, this is a weird thing that I picked up on his movies that everybody picks up on when they watch his movies. He includes <laughs> a lot of going. he includes a lot of explicit nudity in his films. Is that? I mean, likes his wieners. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he's trying? Like, Aside from it being a part of the story, because it becomes a part of the story in both Hereditary and Midsommar, it's not just there to be there. Do you think it also like acts as a way to off-put the audience? Because I know I remember when I was watching this movie Midsommar with you, James, and then Ezra and Hayden next to us. Oh, that this, was so uncomfortable. Yeah, this scene. Well, you watched it with your dad, didn't you? I watched it with my brother-in-law, oh, my yeah. dad, and. I think my sister, I think my sister watched that with me. That was weird. That must be a great movie to watch with your sister. Yeah. It's kind of like watching Pulp Fiction in the, uh, Mm. the basement. Oh yeah. But it's just this scene where it's several naked old, like middle-aged to old women standing around Christian while he has sex with this Swedish girl. And they're just like screaming and feeling the emotions of the intercourse with them in pleasure, in pleasure. And it's, it's uncomfortable, it's unnerving, and he didn't, like, objectively speaking, he did not have to include the explicit shots of the nudity, but he did anyway. Like, even in the, like, one of the ones that I notice is when, um, uh, the guy who plays Cheedy, when Josh dies, <laughs> Cheedy from The Good Place, William Jackson Harper, when Josh dies, he gets killed by, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just Pele, I'm pretty sure it's Pele. Yeah. in wearing Mark's skin, but he's naked from the waist down, which I remember watching that and thinking, the only reason to include that is to like, create this sense of something's not right with this immediately, before even looking at the fact that his skin doesn't fit. Really quick, the guy who takes off Mark's face and like gets naked uh, is the guy who got really mad at Mark for peeing on the ancestral tree. Oh, was it? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I think in Hereditary Midsummer, especially in Hereditary, he uses it to upset you because there's this naked man in their home that they don't know who that is. And I think the moment you just brought up of the face and he's naked, I think that's the only disturbing part. I feel like when it's all the women going in pleasure, it's uncomfortable for us. But it's more symbolic in nature. Yeah, it's more symbolic of this nature. And it's like, of course, because being naked or just having sex is like a vulnerable thing to do. And they're willing to be there during that vulnerability for each other. So I think that's what's going through. And I don't know. It never, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. I've seen Game of Thrones with my dad and my mom. (laughs) Mm, So like, and like Pulp Fiction too. So if I saw this with them, like we wouldn't even notice anything. Well, Strong relationship for you. I'm, I'm proud of you, Spencer. <laughs> Braver than um, most of us. 
we asked this question with Hereditary, but other than Ari Aster, who particularly shines in this movie, cast or crew? Flo, obviously. Uh, the main uh, actress, she is just stunning in this film. And she's attractive. But she's just stunning. But yeah. Florence Pugh is stunning and attractive. I just we have to say it again as many times as we can. But uh, yeah, as uh, the cinematographer, he he could be appreciated in Hereditary. I can understand how someone could overlook him, but just how he uses angles, these just wide fields of view. Uh, the lighting could have gone just boring for you, but so consistently uh, shocking to you, and then at the end, it's almost comforting. And I remember I plan I watched this at like. I started at 11 a.m. and got like out at like 1 p.m. because I wanted that. And when I walked outside, everything felt so dry. Just the sun was being down. Everything Me just too. felt so – just everything felt so gray, but it was bright outside. And that was such an interesting reaction I had, and he caused that. And then I love the guy who plays Christian and Cheedy. I love Cheedy from The Good Place. Uh, the guy who plays Christian, he's from this amazing movie called Sing Street. And he plays a brother. Yo. He's great dad in that. He was incredible in that. He's amazing in He's that. A jet so anything engine. he does, <laughs> everything he does, I will support, especially because he made me understand his character and he made me had moments of relate relating to him and then seeing people I know inside of him. So I understood him as a person. And it made me really happy when he died. <laughs> See, that's how I feel when I watch Tom in succession. Because I know you're not there yet, but I'm at the point where I'm watching Tom and I, I relate to Tom. I recognize myself in Tom. I still dislike Tom in a way, but then I also like Tom in a way. It's a very confusing relationship I have with that character. Tom just sucks. Tom discovered... He doesn't suck. Tom discovered a binder full of rapes, murders, and thieves on a cruise ship. And is like, what should I do? Don't worry, you'll get oh. there, okay? You'll, you'll get to the part where you okay. relate to his character, I promise you. I promise you, he's he's very easily manipulated. I'll just say that at this point. That's supposed to make me like him. Not necessarily like, but maybe f- like like empathy or sympathy. Okay, let's get back. Oh to my Midsummer. god, not the sympathy, empathy day. Right. But yes, Midsummer, Dylan. A point that you brought up a lot: the production design was yes. fantastic, incredible. All the attention to detail that went into it. Yeah. Um, and there's also I, James. I wonder if you picked up on this since you are. You know, I'm a in Nord love boy. with yeah, yeah. Nord boy. Um, but the like runic symbols that they had on their dresses and whatnot were very yeah. symbolic for the characters. I was watching a video about it. I forget what they are, but they sort of encapsulated the essence of what their character and what they were going through in their arc. So mm-hmm. again, the attention to detail, how much he plans and prepares for his films, it's remarkable. Henrik Svensson, the production designer, got snubbed hard at the oscars because the production design that went into this movie is immense it's just the the buildings themselves they're so like interestingly designed that they like stand out so much from the landscape but blend in at the same time like it just i don't know how it's even possible like the archway in the opening that's like the sun it's so beautiful just to look at and they built so incredible they built all of that for the film how much did they build for it I, I believe it was all the buildings, but yeah, they're they just like facades. Like the entire village. I'm pretty sure they're just facades, though. And then the insides were on sound stages somewhere. Right. But like, look at the inside of the room that they're like sleeping in. For the most part, all the painting done yeah. on all of those all walls, hot hand painted, amazing. I want to add about the bear suit at the end. It's yeah. it is so seamless it's of a him. Real bear. <laughs> 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 it's it's probably just probably some easy solution, but I always look at him like. I can't really see where 
I can't just see him in this suit, kind of. That makes sense. I completely believe that this character has been chopped up into a bear, and that's something that impresses me. So certainly the costumes, definitely. The costumes and, like, the special effects with all the blood and whatnot really elevate this movie. It really sets you in the culture. Oh, yeah, when they break those skulls with those hammers. Mm, oh, yummy. my God. So nice. It was so well so done. So shocking to watch. I remember Lillian just didn't want to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> we said, too bad. You I, have to. One thing that I'd like to add is that my most useless talent is being able to read, speak, and write in Eldar Futhark, which is the language that they use in that film. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Amazing yeah. skills right there. Now, how do you think this movie got snubbed at awards? Because it also, like Hereditary, got mostly nothing. For me, the biggest snub is production design and perhaps cinematography. Did like, it get anything for editing? No. I don't Are you think kidding so. me? It didn't get anything. Didn't get anything at all, slightly. Oh, that's I think it, original story didn't get anything. It deserves everything in the world. <laughs> the visual effects, if you watch the visual effects breakdown, it's crazy. They had they had to take out every single shadow of someone. Oh, really? They, they visual fight. Yeah, they took out every shadow, and it's so interesting. I didn't have, even notice that. They have this guy, because the one that's most shocking is uh, it's like a bird's eye view of the table, and it's like 50 people at this table, and they just cut out the shadows. And it's just, it's so interesting. That's and insane. that's so much work, because it's not like copy and paste, because everyone's shadow is slightly that's angled differently. That's a ton of masking. Oh that, but is... then that makes it all the much better, because there's that much more sunlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the lack of shadows is the point of this movie is that you have these like dramatic expressionism and horror movies, which is just all shadows everywhere. Like if you could get a shadow in there, put it in there because they love shadows. And then this one, they're going in and specifically taking out shadows so that there are none. And I think that is you. So it like takes out all the shadows of yourself where they just want Danny to be herself completely. And so that they can accept her and all be together as one. Well, we love Ari Aster. Thank you, Ari Aster, for making these wonderful movies. He said that he's written 10 screenplays so far, and he wants to direct all of them. So oh, my God. We're what? looking forward to more Ari Aster movies. Ryan, can you do the breathing with me? I don't no, I, I'm so sorry for I, I, our this listeners. Is, this is yes. worse to listen to with headphones ASMR, on, so please take off your headphones for that. Our section, yeah. It's yeah, I scare someone driving a car. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> They're gonna crash. They start that. breathing with them, and then the person in the car next to them is like, "What is happening?" Someone needs to edit <laughs> yeah. out a good portion of that breathing bit. Right. Well, we look forward to seeing what Ari Aster does in the future because we're all big fans of him, and we think he is amazing. Now, onto our last segment of the day, we've got the movie of the week. This movie of the week is Fargo. Yes, I haven't seen it, but. It's definitely on the watch list. Is it on Netflix or HBO or something? It used to be. You can borrow my copy. Oh, snap. You need to send it over because Frances McDormand is in this, and she is incredible. She's incredible. William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, and Peter Stromare. Stormare. Stormare. Oh, wow. Look at that. Dyslexia. (laughs) (laughs) It was written and directed by the Coen brothers, and this was their first big breakthrough movie. Like they had made Blood Simple and then maybe like another movie or two before this, but this is what really launched their careers because they won an Academy Award for Best Writing. They were nominated for directing and producing. One was one, one was the other, and it's just a wonderful movie. It's a crime movie. It's it's just about these inept criminals who just can't do anything and they just keep messing up and like it just spirals out so far out of control. That's like it reminds me a lot of Blood Simple in that way, and that like one little mistake just creates this whole chain of events that launches the plot of the movie. 
the music by Carter Burwell is just so iconic to me. I don't know a lot of people who praise the music, but I love the opening like Fargo theme, especially when they play it in the TV show. Because Fargo spawned a very successful television series on FX, and their fourth season is coming out in April. And I know I'm a huge fan of that show. Spence is a huge fan of the show. Have either of you guys watched it? No. It's phenomenal. It's so good. Each se- It's like an anthology series where each season is something different, but they all take place in and around Minnesota. But it's incredible. Yeah. Do you know anything about that show at all? Any spoilers or anything? I mean, I know the movie. I didn't think that they can make Steve Buscemi look so gross. <laughs> <laughs> but you should watch season two of Fargo, the TV show. Yeah, okay. You should watch it's, all three it... seasons and then watch season four. <laughs> okay. Oh, it blows your mind. Okay. The whole show just blows my mind. I love the show. I love the movie. It won two Academy Awards. Launched a career of one of the most successful duo filmmakers of all time. It's incredible. It's the only movie that I watch that I think is set in like a cold environment where I feel the cold. That's a very good point. Yes, I can feel the snow like making me colder the more I watch it. So good for them. Incredible. <laughs> what would you rank it out of five? Out of five, five. Five out of five. Five snow balls out of five. I knew it was going to be snow something. How many snowflakes out of five, Spencer? I think like a 3.5. What the heck? You schmuck. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's, it's like he popped off and you just said a 3.5. <laughs> he goes, it's no Midsommar. It is no. No, I like Midsommar better than Fargo. You need to rewatch Fargo, buddy. Ooh, movie night. No, okay. I'm down for movie night for Fargo, yeah. Movie night. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. That's theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Our producer and one of our guests is James Poole himself. Thank you so much for being here, James. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. And our script editor is Lillian Snyder. We also would like to give a special thank you to our other guest here, Spencer Giles. Thank you. That's amazing. And this Sunday, don't forget, February 9th, it is the 92nd Academy Awards. So be sure to watch that, because next week our show will be entirely on the Oscars, given our recap, given our reactions. So have a great rest of your day, and thank you for listening.